I'd love to welcome Don to the stage. Why don't we give Don a big round of applause? Please take a seat, Don. Your microphone is to your right. So, Don, how long have you been part of Life in Your Church? Um, off and on. Off and on. A um, couple of months? Yeah. Off and on, I think it's probably about 14 years, believe it or not. Um, it, it was when you were in Heaton that we first uh, came to, uh, to see David and Nicola. Uh, but we've, we've sort of been in and out because of, for various reasons. Um, mainly because we've moved around a bit and uh, partly because of my wife's health. Like we, when we were down on City Road, uh, Marion and I used to be part of uh, helping out with the, the food programme. Um, but it was, uh, it was while doing that, uh, Marion used to do it a bit more regularly than me, but she had to get a train and two buses to get there, and it just wore her out, and um, she ended up having her first stroke um, shortly after, after doing that. Um, so we decided that we needed to, to be in a church that was a bit closer to, uh, to where we lived. Um, but we came back, oh... I can't remember how many years ago now. It's desperate, isn't it? Um, was it in the theatre? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I think I remember meeting you, and I'd always assumed that for some reason that was quite early on, but maybe not. Yeah, when no. When you returned. That was when we were returning, yeah. 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 That was an amazing uh, meeting. That uh, The word that you gave Marion and I at that time was, was so encouraging. I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, Thanks for really that. I did good. ask you to mention that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 14 years, that will probably put you into a, a privileged club of people that are still in the church who were there 14 years ago. I don't know. Maybe you should have a badge or something like that. So, uh, I know a bit of your testimony. Mm -hmm. uh, not all of it, but yeah. enough to think it's amazing. And that's, that's why <laughs> I invited you to come. And, we, yeah. and that's why we're interviewing you tonight, really. We just want to hear about you. And so, but we're going to start with a few quick-fire questions, just to sort of get us going, a bit of a warm-up. All right, so uh, what's your favorite food? Ooh, there's an interesting one. Probably a Sunday dinner, good old beef Sunday dinner. What's your least favorite food? I'm not very keen on Chinese food. What is your favorite color? Blue. What is your favorite holiday destination? Probably Mallorca. I love Spanish. I, I um, did Spanish when I was at school. So I like, uh, it's a long time since I practiced Spanish, but I, I love to uh, refresh it a little bit when I go on, before I go on holiday. Does that mean you just speak English, but in a Spanish accent? No, no. <laughs> I've actually been told I've got a very good Spanish accent. I was, when I was a student... You're going went... to have to, you're going to have to show us. You can't say that oh. and then not do it. Well, Habla español solo un poquito. Very good. <laughs> okay, well, favorite curry? Ooh, um, I'm not terribly adventurous with curries. Um, I, I, cannot, I cannot manage the madras just too much, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah, that's, way, that's yeah, silly. Yeah. Uh, too much heat. Um, but, I, but neither do I particularly like the, uh, the very bland curries. So a medium sort of... Rogan Josh? Yeah, like Rogan Josh. We'll yeah. Rogan Josh, all right. Tea or coffee? 
coffee. Would you rather be too hot or too cold? <gasps> if you had to choose. Probably too cold. I think I'm definitely too cold, yeah. Favourite book of the Bible? Oh, there's a good one. John is, John is definitely my favourite writer. The book, the, the, the gospel that he wrote and the letters. Is he saying John? John. Discounting the Trinity, which we shouldn't normally do. Uh, favourite character in the Bible? Caleb. Why? Oh, because he was 85 when he finally uh, received the reward that God had promised him. Um, and in my ageing years, <laughs> because I was a bit of a latecomer to the Christian faith, um, I just have an affinity with, with Caleb. Good stuff. Okay, there you go. Well done. You survived the quick fire beginning. Okay. So we'd love to start by just hearing a bit about where did you grow up? Tell us a bit about if we'd met 10-year-old Don, what would we have encountered? Right. I was born in, in Bedlington, a mining village. Um, I, I was born in the house that my mother lived in all of her life. My, yeah, all of her life until she died. Um, I never knew my father because uh, my parents separated shortly before I was born. So my, I had an older brother, uh, Reg, he was just a year older than me. He died uh, very recently. Um, so we, we grew up never having a father figure. Um, and my mother used to have to go to work, so I guess we were brought up by my grandparents for the first eight or nine years of my life anyway. Um, then my mother remarried and we had to move. Um, we went to Wall's End, came to Wall's End here, down by the docks actually, uh, in, a, in a street which no longer exists, Benton Way, which was just at the top of where the Wall's End ferry landing used to be. Um, and that marriage, unfortunately, fell apart as well. Uh, so when, when I was 15, we moved back to Bedlington. Um, I was... Uh, I failed my 11-plus, but passed my 13-plus. So ended up going to Walls End Grammar School just along the road from here. Um, and even though I was living in Bedlington for the last couple of years, I still came across... One of the teachers used to bring me across every day... Um, to, to finish my education. And I left school at 16 because basically the family just couldn't afford to keep me on for A-levels. Uh, but that said, I continued, uh, even though I was working, I continued to do A-levels. Got a couple of A-levels and um, I was working in the civil service for, for quite a while and just hated it. Um, and eventually, uh, I got married at the age of 19. My wife and I, first, first wife, we had to get married because I was a child on the way. Um, and by the time I uh, got to sort of mid-twenties, I knew what I wanted to do, finally knew what I wanted to do, which was to be an architect. But by then we had two kids, um, no backup money, and it was a huge decision. Seven years to qualify as an architect. But my wife was in agreement, so I, uh, I entered university, managed to get into university, and 
seven years later qualified. Uh, that was life after that started to go reasonably well, apart from the fact that my first, first wife was diagnosed with a chronic liver condition. Not because she drank, she, was, she, she hardly ever drank, uh, basically teetotal, but she had this, they called it a cryogenic um, condition, which they didn't know what caused it. Um, so that gradually she was getting, her health was deteriorating. Um, but apart from that, life was pretty good. Um, shortly after I qualified as an architect, just a year or two afterwards, managed to um, buy a bit of land with a couple of other architects and uh, I built a house for us. Uh, and it was, it was great, it seemed to be great, but gradually my wife's health continued to deteriorate. Uh, to the point where um, she had a, a very serious one of uh, it's a bit graphic this uh, one of one of the conditions is like varicose veins in, in the gullet and if that bursts you end up with a huge problem and it actually happened to her um, and it was very obvious when she went into a liver coma that the medics didn't expect her to get through it um, People that we knew were praying for her, and quite amazingly, she, she came out of it. And um, the consultants, I think, were quite were more than a little surprised. And it was shortly after that that um, uh, my wife's cousin, who'd become a Christian a, a while before, would visit her uh, occasionally, uh, maybe once or twice a month. And she announced to me, my wife announced to me, uh, one day, I became a Christian today. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> well, that's probably good for, for you to give you a little bit of a, bit of a crutch to lean on the, for, the, for where you're at. It's probably good for you, but um, I don't really want anything to do with it. Um, God had other ideas because by then she was in a um, state where she couldn't really walk terribly well. Uh, she wanted to go to church. She wanted to go to other meetings. And I had to take her in a wheelchair. I'm going to pause you there. So how, how at this point would you describe Don back then? How did you deal with the... I would say quite significant challenges you faced growing up, not knowing your father, a wife who was very ill. What were the, how did that leave you feeling, your outlook on the world? Describe how you were at that point. I guess I relied on my inner self a great deal. Um, I regarded myself as very resilient um, tough in a not hard but strong internally um, my brother was a completely different kettle of fish he was very very sensitive didn't cope very well actually ended up with men mental illness um, but I was, I was always pretty well strong willed um, and I think by the time I was in my sort of 30s, I regarded my, whatever I was, it was sort of self-made as far as I was concerned. 
um, and that's how I dealt with, with life. Uh, that said, when my first wife was, was diagnosed, first diagnosed, I didn't handle that very well. Um, I had a, a little bit of a melt, net meltdown, um, but sort of rallied. So your wife becomes a Christian, sort of out of the blue. And as you say, she now need, you need to help her get around in her wheelchair. So this leads you to bringing her to church. So carry on the st story from that point. Yeah. Um, my, my wife's cousin lived over in Wickham, and she went to Wickham West End Christian Fellowship. So my wife wanted to go there. Uh, so you used to have to. We lived up in Morpeth. I used to have to drive down there each Sunday. Um, occasionally, there'd be sort of Christian celebrations that she wanted to go to, so I'd have to take her there. And and I guess it was a few months where I was sit, sitting, listening to the Word, uh, talking to people, and I I started to sort of question. Is all of this stuff really true? Um, and because I, I'm quite cerebral, um, I didn't. Th I don't think there was ever going to be an emotional response. Um, so I thought, well, you, you you need to dig in a little bit and find out for yourself. So I started reading the Gospel of John. Uh, a few of the Gospels, some of the New Testament letters, I, I started to buy one or two books, like Evidence Demands a Verdict, um, and stuff like that. And in the end, I thought, Do you know, this stuff is true, but there's no way I'm going to make a commitment because my life's going to have to change. Um, and I don't think it was going to change massively, but I didn't want to hand my life over to somebody else. So I sort of resisted for a while. And then one Saturday night, 28th of September, 1988, um, I took my wife to Heaton Baptist Church, a celebration. A guy called John Perry, who used to, used to be a backer for uh, Cliff Richard, lovely Christian guy. And he was actually, uh, he actually, we arranged for him to stay at our house because um, he needed he needed some digs for the night. But anyway, John, John, um, at the end of his gig, which was really good, uh, he made a, an altar call, and there were quite a few people going forward, and I was standing there thinking, wow. I know I should go forward, but I'm not. I'm definitely not going to. This is not for me. I'm just no, no. Um, and it went on for several minutes, um, and I, I got a bit uncomfortable actually. And John eventually said, uh, "I'm just going to hang on for one minute more, because God's told me that there's somebody here. You know, it's the right thing to do, but you're resisting. Your mouth's dry." your tongue sticking to the roof of your mouth, your heart's pounding, and you need, you need to make a move. And I had 
like an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. And one was saying, you know, it's right. You know, it's the right thing to do. And on the other shoulder, but, you know, you have to, you're going to lose control. Don't do it. And right at the end, it was literally a second before John called time. My right arm shot up. And I'm, I'm still convinced it was God lifted my arm up. Because I, I didn't, I didn't at the time, I didn't think I'm going to lift my arm. It was just there. And I was like, whoa, I've done it now. And he said, that's, that's it, I'm going to call time now. If you put your arm up, I want you to walk forward. And I walked to the front and I looked at the other people who were there and there were a number of people, at least a dozen people, I think. And my son and my daughter were there as well. And it's like instantly we became a Christian family that night. And do you know, when, I, when my arm went up, I know people giving testimony say, it's like a huge weight comes off you. And I felt it. I felt, I felt as if my arm was lifted because there was nothing to it anymore. It was just, it was so light. But I felt this amazing sort of peace and, and uh, release uh, once I'd done it. And after going forward, you know, we were individually take to one side and just give them a wee bit of counsel. And the journey started from there, and it was just absolutely astonishing. Uh, just coming up to not far from 34 years ago. So good. So if we just continue the sort of timeline, um, I mean, I find that amazing. I always... The verse in the Bible, it's become a bit of a bumper sticker. You know, God works all things for good, those, those who love him. It's like, a, it's like a cheesy Instagram post or a fridge magnet, you know. And then I hear your story that God was able to use essentially a terminal illness of your wife. He was still able to use that awful situation for your entry point into, into faith. And that's always struck me as just incredible. Um... Yeah, do you have any reflections on that? Yeah, um, I, I, I find it amazing too that God will allow stuff to happen which we think is horrendous. Um, it was interesting actually, just the other day I was, I was uh, reading Two Kings and I read about Elisha. El Elisha was ill with, with an illness that led to his death and I thought, well, there's a, an amazing prophet of God who saw so many miracles, and yet he died of illness. And God can use illnesses. And of course, the amazing thing about Elisha was that um, the last miracle occurred after his death, when somebody was thrown into his grave, a dead man thrown into his grave bones, and <laughs> the dead man came alive again. Um, so, yeah, God uses all situations. And the amazing thing was that because my first wife became a Christian, she saw her husband and her children become Christians. But that, that led to her mother and father becoming Christians. Her aunt and uncle became Christians. My mother and my sister and my brother eventually became Christians. Um, and, and others as well. And you think, from that horrendous situation... God poured out his blessings to lots of people.
So how, how since then have you maintained that connection with God in the face of conti continued challenge, continued health? Um, when I was writing down the quick questions and, you know, favorite book of the Bible, I thought, well, I thought, well, I wonder what, what mine is. And honestly, the first book that came to mind was Job. And that's, that's it's, I, I don't know if that's like a post-pandemic answer, but I think increasingly, because of the pandemic and just challenging our life, I've just been thinking about, unless we have a really good theology of suffering, things are going to come along that we can't explain. And there's all the chance that they will then knock us off because we can't explain the two. And then Job stands up and says, though he slay me, still I will praise him. Quite amazing. If I continue my um, story a little, um, within a year of me and the kids becoming Christians, um, that horrendous um, uh, health event happened again. Uh, and I rushed my wife into hospital. Uh, and this time uh, it wasn't going to work out. But I remember the, the last thing, because of the bleeding, they have to put a tube down the throat and inflate it. And, um, and I remember the, the last thing my wife, uh, I heard my wife say as she was being wheeled into the emergency unit, she said to the nurse, she said, I believe in Jesus, do you? And the, last words. Uh, um, and I think because she didn't, it was a number of days that she was in a coma again. Um, the kids happened to be away at a Christian camp at the time, but I, I didn't ring them and tell them because I thought it was going to be a while before anything happened. But when they came back, you know, I was there, other Christians were there, we were praying for her. And I just, after some days, I just felt... God's peace in my heart, just like it's going to be different this time. And I, but I knew it was right somehow. Um, and at the time, it's like, I don't know whether I should be feeling like this, you know, you should be sort of pushing through and all the rest of it. But I just, I just knew that her, she'd run a race uh, and it was time. Um, and that's what happened. But the amazing thing was that at her funeral, it really was a celebration. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a somber occasion at all. It was a celebration of a life well lived. Um, and I, I can't imagine what it would have been like if... if uh, Myself and the, and the children hadn't have made that Christian commitment. It would have been such a different time. So, a fair bit of time has passed. How, how would you say that you now maintain your connection with God? How do you maintain that conviction that he is working all things for good as, as you face continued challenge now, like we all do? How, how, how does that work for you? I guess, I guess over the years, um, like from fairly early on, 
uh, maybe because of who God's made me. I, I felt that God wanted me to be studying the word. Um, I have to admit that I'm, I'm not a great prayer. I struggle with prayer. That doesn't mean I don't pray, but I'm not, I'm not a consistent prayer. I don't pray for long periods. Um, I shoot prayers up to God fairly regularly. But um, most of my connection with God over the years has been in studying his word. And, and I get revelations of God through that. So like, like the fatherhood of God, I studied that in considerable detail. Um, and that, and I, for somebody who never had a father but is a father, um, that was revelationary, you know. Um, Let me jump in then. What does having God as your father mean mean to you? I think the my favourite parable is the, the prodigal son, and it's the absolute unconditional love that God, God's got for His kids that shouts out to me when I when I look at that sort of stuff. The grace that is, the love that He bestows on us, the grace and mercy that He's got. Um, the fact that we keep messing up, he knows what we are, uh, he knows what we're going to be doing in the future, we continue to mess up, and he's always there to forgive. Um, and it's the, it's the father heart, it's, it's just having a glimpse of the heart of a father who has unconditional love that uh, I find mind-blowing. Um, and it's a great example that I try to mimic. I think we all would love to mimic, um, but we, we'll never get there completely. But um, it's just knowing that I have a father who I can depend on, a father who's always there to guide and is always there to, to encourage. That, that gives me faith to go on no matter what. And you said you get yeah, revelations in the word and that's almost like your sweet spot, maybe. There, I'm sure there'll be people here, people at home who are watching, who it might be the other way around. They might actually love prayer or worship, but they've actually always found engaging with the word difficult. So any thoughts, insights? How, how, how do you go about it? Or what works for you in terms of opening up the word and really finding God jumping out at you? Yeah, I think the first thing to say is that... Um, God gives us all different, different interests, different gifts, different um, understandings of himself and his word. Um, for me, um, from pretty early as a Christian, um, I, I used to buy teaching tapes of uh, one particular teacher, uh, Roger Price, who died at the age of 39, the same age as my wife. Um, he's a great teacher. Uh, didn't didn't agree with everything that he said, but um, gave me a great foundation and encouraged me to dig deeper myself. So uh, there were teaching tapes, but then I, I started buying a number of books, uh, a biblical encyclopedia, and I and I guess for me, the secret was to try and dig not just for a, like a spiritual truth, but a, an understanding of what things meant when they were happening at the time. 
So looking at script, be it Old Testament and New Testament, it's, it's having a, a fairly um, in-depth understanding of, so what was it like in that culture? What was going on at the time? What was the history at the time? Um, how were, how were the, was the church and Christians being affected? So it's putting the scriptural text into context and that sort of brings more sort of understanding for me of what that could mean for us today. We love it when you preach. You know, your love for the word is really reflected in that. Uh, for, for those people that maybe find the Bible difficult to engage with, maybe they've found it dry in the past or, or they've found it difficult, how do you go about pushing through that or... Do you have any habits in your life, any routines that, that you try and follow that help? Right. Um, I, I've read the Bible a number of times in different ways. Sometimes uh, I just start at the beginning and go right through. That's not how I started as a young Christian. Uh, I read most of the New Testament. Um, I think I probably read... Revelation, but then thought, no, I'm going to leave that for a while, which was actually pretty wise. We've all been there, yeah. Yeah, pretty wise at the time. Um, so uh, read, read most of the New Testament and then thought, well, I need to understand a bit more of the New Testament. So I, for a, a number of years, I would just read through the whole, the whole of the Bible start to finish. Uh, I've tried the Bible in a year. Um, some of it I... I didn't like, I don't like reading a bit of old, a bit of new, a bit of the Psalms. That's too bitty for me. Um, but there, there are some uh, Bibles in a year where you're reading a big chunk of scripture altogether. And, and I like doing that. Um, then I have devotionals. Um, the, uh, I love the Celtic prayer, which uh, Nicola um, loves as well. Uh, the, the Celtic prayer diaries um, they do give you a little bit of scripture but there's also a number of prayers in there um, and it gives you a bit of history about the early um, church in in Great Britain um, so it's I, I find all of scripture I don't find scripture dry and I think that's that's part of God's blessing on my life that uh, when I'm reading um, I mean, okay, I, I, get a, I get bored with the long, long lists of names. But even then I think, do you know, this is all history. It's like we're living through history at the minute, aren't we? And all of the names, it just shows this is fact. These people lived. It's part of what was going on at the time. And it's in there for a reason. It's to show that these, these aren't just somebody's folklore fantasies. These are real people. Um, so I guess having that having that interest where scripture isn't dry, it it comes alive, um, and I found that the, the more the more because I've got resources like a, a biblical encyclopedia, it's, it's Zondervan's encyclopedia, five volumes which are like mind blowing. Um, you you read something in scripture and think, oh, I wonder what that place is or who that person is and you go to the encyclopedia and there's like two pages about it and you know you think wow and it just the insights that that it gives you um 
it just starts to open things up again. If you're watching this and you're under 20, we'll, we'll put a subtitle under what encyclopedia means. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-Google. Um, so we've heard, I mean, it's been, I'd say, fairly, fairly quick because of time, but, you know, your story, I'm sure people have maybe connected with different parts of it. Let's wind up, up to present now. What are some of your hopes or dreams for the years to come? Yeah. Um, this afternoon I was reflecting on what David said this morning about our Queen and I thought wow you know there is a woman who it reigned in her earthly kingdom for 70 years with, with grace, with humility with wisdom but you could see when, when we heard her speaking and particularly at the Christmas messages and other times you could see that she was aware that although she reigned in her kingdom she was also aware that she's a citizen of another kingdom a heavenly kingdom and I just I find it amazing that she was so faithful in demonstrating that she was part of God's household. You know, I remember Paul said to the Philippians and the Ephesians that our citizenship is in heaven. Um, and he was talking to people who were, um, a lot of them were Roman citizens. And they, when they were citizens of Rome, it doesn't mean that their desire was eventually to go to Rome. The ambition and the purpose of Roman citizenship was that they would bring Roman values, Roman culture, um, Roman laws, Roman character to the place that they lived. And that's what Paul meant when he said we are citizens of heaven. Not we should just long to be in heaven with our God, but that we are meant to bring God's culture, God's values the flavor of God here on earth where we are. And I can imagine that when Elizabeth II was taken up into paradise to be face to face with Jesus, I can imagine her hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's my desire. I want to hear those words. That's, I've, I've longed for that for years. Um, and I guess my desire, as Charles says, in the years remaining that I have, that God grants me, that I am able to bring the value of God's kingdom to this earth as best I can.